Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jason takes it himself, look at him dunk back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide open as Hill. Welcome back here. It's another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Marov. This week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. The NFL season is a week away, one week from Thursday. There will be a real regular season football game on to watch Chiefs vs. Texans. It is finally here. And it's finally starting to feel like it's really coming back. You know, fantasy drafts are happening. We had a big trade with Anik Ngakwe getting traded from Jacksonville to Minnesota. We saw Leonard Fournette get released. We saw Logan Ryan finally sign with a team, the New York Giants. We unfortunately saw an injury happen to Derwin James as he is out for the year with a knee injury. But it's really finally starting to feel like, oh boy, it's happening. Like the season is really going to start. And it's really only going to get busier from here. All teams around the NFL will have to release around 20 to 25 players this weekend as cut down day looms. Recent history also shows that we always have a couple of big trades this time of year. You know, we've seen Khalil Mack, we saw Laramie Tunsil, we saw Jadavian Clowney. That all happened on Labor Day weekend on cut down day. So buckle up. It is really going to get wild. As always, have your notifications on for the My Sports Update Twitter account because, as I said, it is really, really going to get busy in these next few days. All right, on to this week's episode. And last week, of course, I previewed the AFC with Jordan Schultz of ESPN. Go check that out if you have not done so yet. This week, I previewed the NFC with ESPN's Diana Russini. And this was a long one because, first of all, the NFC is just stacked with so many good teams. And this conference also just had a lot of movement this offseason with players moving around and trades. And Diana really had some interesting takes on some of these teams in the NFC. I won't spoil anything now, but I am curious to hear what you all think about it because I found some of them to be interesting this type of year, anything could happen. So it's 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 a really interesting and fun conversation with her. Also, near the end of this, we also kind of went off topic and we started talking about, you know, news breaking in the NFL and that process and some memories from these past few years, you know, the Andrew Luck retirement and all these other stuff that have gone on in the NFL and just life as an insider. And, you know, I think you guys will enjoy that as well. This was, uh, it was a really good one overall, but... But before we go to Diana, a quick word from our sponsors. As you all know, we are a week away from NFL Sundays. And with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players, no matter where you live. NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the best NFL Sundays. And now you can get 15% off your subscription by using the promo code BLUEWIRE. 
B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E at checkout. Once again, visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Also, while you will be watching your games, you will also need some food. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you are craving to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with your new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on the way. Right now, our listeners here on the My Sports Update football podcast, you can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more. Download the DoorDash app and again, use the same promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Again, download the DoorDash app and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, so now here it is, my full discussion with ESPN's Diana Rossini as we preview the NFC. We go division by division, talk about all the teams here. And again, this conference is fascinating. There are so many good teams, so many intriguing teams. Um, we had our agreements. We had our disagreements in here. I am curious to hear what you all think. So let me know in the comments. Let me know on Twitter. Let me know in the reviews. Whatever it is, I do want to hear what you guys think as well. But now, here it is. Here is my full discussion with Diana Rossini. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast. She's an NFL reporter, host, and insider for ESPN. You see her on various ESPN shows throughout the week. It is Diana Rossini. Diana, thanks for taking the time. What's going on? How are you? Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm uh, such a gigantic fan of yours and, of course, your updates. I would not have had a summer of unplugging, I'll call it, uh, without you because you do such a great job of making sure uh, you, you, you send out the news-breaking information and, and you get it. And uh, I hope you don't mind, but I've told so many people in my life about you to follow you. It's like, you don't need a, you don't even follow Schefter anymore. Just follow this. This is what you need. No, no, no. Adam, Adam is the guy. Adam is number one. But you, you know what's funny to me? I've told this to other people as well. You know how some people growing up, they look up to athletes. I kind of always looked up to Adam just because of his commitment and the grind that he has to what he does. And that is probably one of the main reasons I kind of started the account in the first place. Just because, you know, he is on top of the NFL news world. But then I also realized that there is still so much more that is happening in football. And there isn't somebody who is putting all the notable stuff that's happening into one place, right? There are so many reporters out there. Adam is for sure number one, but there's still so many other things that goes on. Unlike basketball, for example, where there are two people mostly who are reporting everything. In football, there are just so many. So that's probably one of the main reasons I started this. And of course, it's grown to this point, which is just incredible. But yeah, he's one of the biggest reasons why this ever even started. That's great. Well, congrats on your success of it. And, and you know, it's you're obviously a, a must follow. And, you know, to add to Adam, not only is he obviously just a, a great reporter and the best at what he does. There's a lot of us, but he is the best. Uh, but he's also just a great person. And, and, you know, people ask me all the time what he's like. And I said, well, he's intense. He's serious. But he's also one of the best teammates I've ever had in terms of, of gathering information and, and making good decisions. He's, he's helped me really navigate the league 
Um, and, and sometimes even, even getting my own way, he's really good at, um, reminding me to just stick to the facts, get the news, get your sources lined up, be clean about it. Uh, and, and you, you'll start to build a, a decent reputation when, when you start adding up a lot of big wins. Yeah, for sure. And I actually remember the first time I spoke to him, it was about two years ago, I would say it was with Twitter DMs and he was the one who initiated that conversation. And I remember telling myself that morning when it happened that he really didn't have to do this. Like he really didn't have to go and DM me and offer help the way he did. And then I told myself, you know what, that's the type of person that Adam is. And, you know, ever since then, of course, I've gone down to Bristol. I got to meet him. I got to meet you. It was about a year ago when that happened for the Fantasy Marathon last year. And ever since that, of course, this podcast got started. And a bunch of you people from ESPN have been coming on this podcast. And I, of course, greatly appreciate that. So on to this week's episode. And as you know, Diana, last week we previewed the AFC with Jordan Schultz. We're going to prove the we're going to preview the NFC this week with you. And I'm really excited about this. Really looking forward to it. Just because this conference is super intriguing. So let's start with the division that just had a big trade. That is the NFC North. The Vikings get Yannick Ngakwe from Minnesota. They pair him up with Daniil Hunter. I love that move. Green Bay won this division last year. They didn't really do that much to improve this offseason though. Chicago of course has a quarterback competition. And then I really don't remember a year that has had this much hype. For the Detroit Lions like there is right now. So speaking of all the Detroit Lions hype. Diana on July 28th I saw you make a bold prediction on Twitter. That the Detroit Lions will win their division in 2020. Do you still have that stance now. After seeing the Vikings make this trade the other day. Oh I absolutely do. Uh, I definitely feel like I. Well here's what happened. I sucked my neck out on that prediction um not i was unaware that so many people were hopping on it already and which you know nothing better than making a prediction being like oh i got some company here because i can tell you i have about four others that are out there floating uh that nobody agrees with but we'll, we'll get to that later i'm sure mm-hmm. um so i just think matthew stafford is the most underrated quarterback probably in the nfl i, I just don't think we do enough or give him enough credit so many of their problems, unfortunately, have overshadowed his ability, what he's been able to do. Obviously, the Matt Patricia, I'll just call it mess a bit, uh, and that transition to, to being a head coach, I think, made it tough. But I, I, I liked their draft. I think we could probably debate this. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of my colleagues don't agree with me so much on, on, on the moves they made there. I like what they did. I thought they were patient. I thought they were smart. I, th- I think they obviously needed to, to improve their defense. They needed to get a good running back with, uh, you know, DeAndre Swift. I think that's going to do nothing but just improve that offense. I just, I think this is the year that it can start clicking and, and the adjustments that, that Matt Patricia, from what I've heard uh, from even just talking to some players on that team, there's become a comfort with him and those relationships. I know last year we talked a lot about some, some strain there, um, but I really like what I'm hearing coming out, out of camp. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because it really isn't just you who is saying this. I've seen Mina Kimes, your colleague, say this. I've seen Peter Schrager say this. I've seen Jeff Schwartz say this. I've seen a bunch of people who I respect 
being really high on the Lions. And if you really look into the numbers, this is a team that was 3-12-1 last year. They lost eight of those games were one-score games, which is just insane. Stafford, of course, got hurt. But, you know, if you actually look at Stafford when he was available last year, he was putting up the best numbers of his career. And he really is one of those quarterbacks in the NFL who really is underrated and underappreciated. But really, I'm not really concerned with this offense. I think this offense should be great, right? The receivers, Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Hawkinson year two. I expect him to leap to have a big jump this year. And then the two running backs with Johnson and Swift. My concern really is with the defense. And ever since Patricia got there, it just hasn't really been good. And the plan every offseason has been, let's just add more former Patriots, right? And they did it again this offseason by signing um, Deron Harmon, Danny Shelton, and Jamie Collins. So I don't really know what to expect from this defense because, as I said, it really hasn't been good. Darius Slay is no longer there. You add Akuda, you add Desmond Trufant into the secondary. Is it safe to say, though, if this is not going to be a winning season, that this is it for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn? I definitely think if there's a, um, a tandem that's going to be on the hot seat early on, it will be them. You know, they went heavy on the defensive side. Um, you know, free, you, you kind of mentioned it, free agency, trades, the draft. We obviously know with, with Jeff Okuda. Um, but even if you look at the offenses that they're going to be facing coming up here, they're facing, I think, something like between the ninth and 10th easiest passing offenses, which should really get them off to a good start. And just basing this on schedule, right? Not, not that we want to dive into that too much, but um, that's going to give them some momentum early on in terms of improving and giving that confidence to, to their defensive side of the ball. But keeping that in mind, along with these pieces that they added, if they come out flat, I, I would not be surprised this season if, if we saw a coaching change there d during during the season here, I can't really think off the top of my head right now who else would be on the hot seat as early as him. But uh, I, I feel like Matt Patricia ha has definitely definitely has a target on his back here if they're not successful. Yeah, well, listen, they, they had to put out a statement at the end of last year just to announce that Patricia and Quinn are coming back. That's never a good sign, right? Because it kind of signals that we consider moving on, but we're giving you one more shot. So they really have to win this year. They start the season with back-to-back -back division games with Chicago and Green Bay. And really the only reason why I could see all of you being right about Detroit is really because the other three teams in this division, they are all kind of up in the air for me. What I mean by that is they all have a question mark for me. And we'll start with Minnesota first here because I look at this team. They lost some key pieces this offseason. Diggs on offense. Their entire cornerback room is essentially new guys after losing Rhodes, Alexander, and Waynes. But after adding Ngakwe, you pair him up with Daniil Hunter. Both guys are 25 years old. I love that move. The bigger question for me really is on defense because of some of the holes that they do have with all the departures. In a year like this, we like to see continuity. And I feel like this defense had some movement going on, right? Everson Griffin is also gone. Linval Joseph is also gone. We mentioned the secondary guys who are out. And, of course, digs on offense. So how do you have the Minnesota Vikings here in 2020? Yeah, they've got that young, uh, those young corners. 
I think if, if we were to pick an Achilles heel of Minnesota right now, coming out of camp, that's sort of what I'm gathering from talking to people there. That's really their big concern. Um, their, their rookie third round core, uh, corner, uh, Cam Dantzler, he's had a really good camp. I, I that, that was one of the takeaways from talking to, to some guys over there. But, um, you know, they open up against Green Bay, which, you know, we know they're, they're elite. But, you know, Kirk Cousins' numbers against them, I mean, he's torched them the last few years, um, other than that one stupid throw against Green Bay last year. But right. um, he's had some really good success against them. And, and seeing that they finally got over that hump a bit, um, I covered that game against New Orleans last year. Um, to see them take that step, I remember being in their locker room uh, and, and no one would say it on the record. No one would actually go, yes, we did it. This, this, this felt like the monkey on our back, but it was, it was so evident. And, and even talking to people on the staff, I remember feeling this relief and it was, yes, it was excitement to move on, but uh, it was that they, they knew this was sort of weighing over them. Um, and Kirk, look, I struggle with Kirk I, and I, and I have since his days in Washington when I covered him. Every time I want to make it this season, I'm going to buy into him being an incredible quarterback. He's going to break into the top 10. He just, he's just, we, I think we know what he is. We know what Kirk is now, but that's good enough for, for the system they're in. And with Dalvin Cook, uh, at least a healthy Dalvin Cook coming up this season, you know, I, I think that they can, they can certainly battle to, to win that division if uh, that prediction of my lines doesn't work out. I think that's the team that's going to win it. The thing about Minnesota for me is Gary Kubiak, of course, is going to run this offense now. People think he was anyways running it last year, but we're going to see a lot of Dalvin Cook. We're going to see a lot of Alexander Madison. We know Kubiak likes running the ball. The thing about Kirk Cousins, by the way, and I know you brought him up, I feel like he gets a lot of unfair criticism because this is somebody who at one point last year was an MVP candidate, right? And he was able to get the playoff win last year over New Orleans in New Orleans. Orleans, that was big. I feel like the arrow is finally pointing up for him. And then defensively, you know, they obviously lost pieces, as I said before, but adding in Gakwe, putting him with Hunter, these two guys are going to get to the passer. And they also have Barr, they have Kendricks, they have Anthony Harris, they have Harrison Smith. They have a solid defense with a solid group of players. Yeah, there are some other concerns there, but I do feel like Minnesota is a team to beat in the NFC. I know you have Detroit, but the team that did win this division last year was Green Bay. And this is a team that this offseason, for me, did absolutely nothing that makes me think, oh yeah, they're going to get over the hump. Because if you look at this, unless you think Aaron Rodgers is going to go off this year, what's going to happen if Devontae Adams gets hurt? They have no other viable number one option. Are they going to be a run-centric team now? Because they did draft Dylan, even though they have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And then defensively, the last thing I remember about the Packers is them getting run over by San Francisco. And defensively, the only thing they changed was their, they added Christian Kirksey and Blake Martinez is gone. So they're running back the same group, essentially. What do you think of this team? Oh, there's, there's no question that Aaron Rodgers is coming into this season with nothing but frustration and anger. We can, you know, we, we all see it. We know it, which is why I think he's going to have, if, if people can stay healthy, I think this could be a career year for him. Um, I, I just can't, I can't doubt him, but at the same, in the same token though, um, 
this team declined to really add any significant weapons in the passing game for him. And that's going to, that's going to be a problem. So the, the run game, what, Matt LaFleur wants to create there this smash mouth uh, sort of Kyle Shanahan-esque yeah. slash Sean McVay-esque offense. You know, we know that they were all together. They all have this, they're all ripping from the same playbook here. You know, for me, everyone kept talking about the drafting of, of you know, of love there. For me, it was like, well, actually what they're doing, they're, they're committing to this run game. It is clear they are picking, mm-hmm. they, they are picking Matt LaFleur over Aaron Rodgers. And look, LaFleur's been really vocal about it, right? It's, it, his desire to run the football effectively has been a priority for him in 2019. That was something he was pretty frustrated about. So adding, you know, a really big, athletic, thick thigh uh, running back in that second round of A.J. Dillon, which I love that A.J. Dillon's taken over sort of the thigh videos. And, right. you know, it was like Saquon Barkley owned that space, and I, like, forgot about them. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Saquon's space. Now it's all about <laughs> That's all I see coming out of camp. I'm like, I can't fuck this guy's thighs one more time. It's so true. Um, but I think it's just reinforced the Packers' desire here, right? So they just want to run the ball while limiting, you know, the overall rush volume that we saw from Aaron Jones last year, uh, who was the main guy. So, so the fact that they've invested in this, this is where it's going to be. So, like, I hear what you're saying about, you know, we know Devin Funch has opted out. Um, they, they, lost, they lost Allison. They moved on from Jimmy Graham. If these receivers – can, if Devontae Adams can stay healthy and this run game can take off and Aaron Rodgers comes in like this angry, pissed off guy that he is, I, you know, I think they can be really good. Now on defense, look, Kenny Clark is freaking awesome. He's such a good player, but they're free. Well, they, they attempted to spend a lot in, the, in free agency, which was, was shocking to, to really improve their defense. But I don't think it's going to be enough. I think this is going to be one of those teams like the Cowboys where their offense is going to be their strength and, and their defense is, is going to wind up being the reason why they don't go as far as they should. Yeah, I mean, the last vision that we have of the Packers' defense is how they got run over by Raheem Mostert in that NFC Championship game. And as I said, they really didn't do that much to improve on that side of the ball. But I want to stick with the offense for a second. Why do you think it is that they did not go ahead and sign a receiver? Why not sign Robbie Anderson? Why not sign Emmanuel Sanders? Why not draft a receiver in a loaded receiver class? Why were they so quiet? Why do you think that was? It almost felt like rebellion to me. It was, it was like stubbornness. And, and I, I never got any on-the-record comments from anyone in the organization of what their thought process was besides building and growing. I mean, you look at all these different franchises uh, that have had quarterback issues. Green Bay, has, Green Bay Packer fans have no idea what it's like <laughs> not to have a question mark at the quarterback position for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. They, 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 there have been no question marks. So in, in, in one regard, the organization actually stuck with the formula that has worked there and is what they're accustomed to. Um, so if I'm a Packers fan, I'm psyched that there's a plan in place, but it's also a tough pill to swallow in the now but what kind of problem would you rather have? No receiver or no quarterback of the future if Jordan Love turns out to be the guy? Obviously, you've seen a lot of the reports coming out of Green Bay that, you know, he's a rookie. He's struggling. It's a weird offseason. The project. These guys aren't getting exposed to the things they do. That, that is really my biggest, you know, we talk about this on the, on, at ESPN so much. Our biggest question marks for each team. And that's going to be my consistent concern. The first year head coaches and these rookies and these rookie starting quarterbacks. Um, on, on having just such a 
a strange amount of or lack of time really to understand these systems and the cultures of the NFL. How many years do you think Aaron has left there in Green Bay? I mean, I asked the same question to Adam after the draft, and he said as soon as you trade up for a quarterback in the first round, you trade up for him, all that does is tell your starting quarterback that he is on the clock. What would you say? Yeah, they definitely made it clear. This is it for him, and Aaron knows it. He spoke about it. He knows he's not finishing his career. I say after this year. I think after this season he goes you know, which is nuts, right? Because he actually may be playing really well. You know, we don't know where he's going to be at. I don't think we see Jordan Love this year, but, and it's funny, I, I, I thought we would. I actually did. Really? Uh, before camp, I would have said, all right, we're going to see this kid if, if Aaron's, if they, if they just come out of the gate just slow and, and you know, there's tons of injuries, but I, I don't think so. I think this is going to be a, a redshirt year for, for, for him and to just sit, watch, and learn. Yeah, I don't think we see Jordan Love this year. But if Aaron Rodgers is gone by next year and he becomes whatever it is, a free agent or the trade market, whatever it is, that would be absolutely insane. I can't even imagine how that would look, who would get him. Obviously, a while till we get there. But that is um, it's a bit of a bold prediction there if he's not going to be there already in 2021. All right, one more team here to cover and it is the Chicago Bears in the NFC North. This is a team that I think really cannot waste another year of this defense. They finished last year 8th against the pass, 13th against the run. They have Mack and Hicks. You add Robert Quinn. That's amazing. Eddie Jackson, he was pretty good last year, even though the picks were down. I don't really think this defense will be as good as 2018, but it still has the pieces to be great. The obvious question is at quarterback. So I guess let me start with this. Um, Matt Nagy said he will not announce the starting quarterback until right before their week one game against Detroit. Who do you think wins this quarterback competition? I think Mitchell Trubisky wins it. I think he does. I don't I don't know of it. I haven't talked to anyone there about where they're at, um, you know, at the end of August here, early September. I think it goes to him. I think they, 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 they this is it, though. This is going to be the last run for him. This is his last shot. Uh, obviously, them trading for Nick Foles as a media competition tells you how they feel about him. Um, you know, but every time I count Nick Foles out, by the way, obviously I'm fooled as as I think a lot of us are. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what's tough though, right? You look at Mitchell Trubisky's weapons. He's got the lone bright spot of of really Allen Robinson, who who has potential to be so good. But that entire passing game last season struggled so much. Uh, rushing game not much better either. You know, you don't really know their identity because they've struggled at the quarterback spot for so long now. And and the thing is, I believe in Matt Nagy. When they hired him, I thought that was going to be just a really improved leadership and, and vision. And, and I like his offense, but I'm getting impatient now. It's like enough. Like, I, I we need to see this. You know, and for, from a defensive standpoint, they gave up so much for Khalil Mack. And, and, and he's proved to be incredible. But at some point here, this defense needs some relief this offense has to get going because they they're not gonna be able to hold them up all year they're not but I predict that we're gonna see changes at the quarterback pretty quick so you know I found this stat actually to be very interesting I saw this about Nick Foles he has never started more than 11 games 
in a season in his career. I found that to be crazy. And I really believe that if there was a preseason, if there was OTAs, then this would be Nick Foles' job. Just because they brought in the coaches who are familiar with him. They traded away a fourth-round pick to get him. They also took on his contract, which um, has, I don't know, 20-plus million guaranteed on there. But in a year like this, where there hasn't been much time with the receivers, with the running backs, I could see a scenario where they do start with Mitchell Trubisky, give him one more shot. I do know that is Ryan Pace's guy, even though they did decline his fifth-year option. The thing for me is, let's just say you're right. Let's just say they do start with Trubisky, and again, he struggles. Now they hand the keys over to Foles. What if he struggles as well? What if the Bears finish this season 6-10? and 10? Do you think Mad Nagy, Ryan Pace, are they both back next year or is it enough is enough? You were saying you're already getting frustrated with Nagy. What do you think happens if we see them struggle again this year? I do. I do. I think this is, they had, they were given time. And I feel like we always talk about this in the league that some of these coaches aren't given enough opportunity and in the draft and obviously some of the decisions they've made at the quarterback spot and the players that they've tried to build around Trubisky, which you can argue whether or not that was the right move in the first place. Should they have pulled the plug on Mitchell earlier? Um, and I'm sure this is going to be something that's going to haunt them. You know, we know Leonard Fournette's on the market now. I'm curious to see if perhaps the Bears get in on that. You know, I'm sure by the time this airs, we'll know where Fournette will be. Uh, but he certainly could be a, a gigantic help for this team in their run game. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of the coaching there, I have a hard time believing that they could get through this if they, if they have another losing season and it's pretty clear that they're going to have to start all over again. So based off everything you just said, I think you have it like this in the NFC North. Detroit 1, Minnesota 2, Green Bay 3, and Chicago 4. Would that be accurate? Like it. All right. I feel like you're going to catch a lot of flack on Twitter for putting Detroit at 1. I personally probably will put it at um, Minnesota 1, Green Bay 2, Detroit at three and Chicago at four. But of course, this division had so much movement this offseason. A lot could change, of course, especially in a year like this with the circumstances. All right, on to the NFC South. And you know the Saints very well. I mean, you're connected all over the NFL, but I feel like the Saints are one of the teams that you're closest with. We all know what the Buccaneers did this offseason. The Falcons, they were super hot at the end of last year. And then the Panthers just made a bunch of changes this offseason. Um, I think the Saints are the team to beat here. I don't think it's a debate. I think you agree with that. But I want to start with the Buccaneers because I'm all in on Tampa Bay. But then I saw last week that you said they won't even make the playoffs, which shocked <laughs> me. It shocked me because people who listen to this podcast know I'm all in on Tampa Bay. I think they're going to be legit this year. As I said, I think New Orleans is one, but I think Tampa Bay is right behind them. And then you come out and say that, and my mind was blowing up. What's going on here? You're like, what does she know? I know nothing. <laughs> Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that Tom Brady, of any athlete I've ever covered in my life, likes a pattern of behavior, likes schedule, likes things the way he does it, routine. Um, I don't know if you have anyone in your life who's like that, but I do. And okay. the simplest things throw them off. And this would have been – a conversation to have pre-COVID of just him going from New England to Tampa Bay, just the culture change. Can that locker room change to the standard 
of what Tom Brady needs and asks for. That's really what my doubt is. Can the rest of them step up to Tom Brady's eliteness the way he liked it in New England? Because you talk to New England players, and I've talked to a bunch of them since Brady has left. Um, and some of it's just casual about, you know, what do you think of Tampa Bay? How do you think they're going to fare? And, and I should add, by the way, I did have some Patriots players text me after I made that prediction that okay. I'm not far off. Like, they have the weapons, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is the year because Tom is so maniacal about how he wants things that unless these guys all buy in and follow suit, which they could, but if there's a couple bad apples, it's not going to work. It's tough to build a culture in one year, in one season. So you have a quarterback that's going in to a Bruce Arians offense, which Bruce has said publicly, this is really going to be more of a mixture, which I've said from day one, drop the word mix. It should just be one thing, Tom Brady's offense. Right. Because there's – no matter how smart you are, no matter how how much experience you have at 43 years old, you're still, there's going to be a learning curve there. So you need to give him everything he needs to make it work for him, not for you in terms of that offense. So that gives me a little bit more question marks. He's going to be asked to do things. Well, is he going to be asked to do things that he can't do or he's not comfortable doing? That seems absurd. And I think Bruce Arians is smart enough than to, to make Tom Brady do something he doesn't want to do. But from what it, from what I can gather here and listening to these interviews, it sounds like it's going to be a mix. So let's see how that works. And, and I, I just think there's a lot of change and a lot of difference in personalities and demands from what Brady's used to. So th this is why I think I said, and of course no one really cared about this, this isn't the year they go all the way. I think it's next season. Interesting. Okay, fine. I'm going to make an argument here because – you're just mad at me right now. I'm not, I'm not mad at you because <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. But but I'll, I'll tell you this much. Brady has been working out with his guys all offseason long. Even when the NFLPA say don't do it, he did it. He doesn't care. Yeah, on a high school field. What does that do for you? Who cares what field it's on? He's with the guys. No? I, I, I know what you're saying. I just, none of this is normal or comfortable for him. But yeah, no, yes. Was he doing things perhaps in our nation? But you don't, yeah, yes, he was. He was out there. He wasn't wearing masks. He does not care about COVID. <laughs> it's true. But listen, we know about the weapons. We know about Evans, Godwin, Gronk, Howard, Braid. I'll throw in Scotty Miller because I think he's going to be involved in this offense. The offensive line, fine. It's not great, but it isn't bad. I think it's above average. But the thing that makes the difference for me is the defense, which was there last year, which did yes. improve last year with Todd Bowles. At the end of last year, the second half of last year, this was one of the best defenses in all of football. I know they had some bad quarterbacks that they faced during that span, but still, you talk about Shaq Barrett coming back 19 and a half sacks, and Dominican Sue is back, and Jason Pierre-Paul is back, and Vita Vea is emerging as one of the best nose tackles in football. Levante David, I've been saying this for so many years already, he's one of the most underrated, underappreciated players in all of football. Devin White is a former top five fixture continuing to blossom. The secondary is young and has a lot of potential. Like, Remember, last year, this defense kept on coming on the field all of a sudden because of Jameis' interceptions. You had 30 of them. They won't have that this year with Brady. I mean, I know people say don't get excited about a team that does a lot in one offseason, but I feel like this team is only going to improve because the quarterback changed and because the defense was so good last year. Okay, so you skipped over, you skipped over the offensive line. So we'll, I want to get to the defense in a second. But this is one of my bigger concerns. 
I remember last season when I was talking to opposing defensive coordinators facing the Patriots, they all said the same thing to me. This isn't just one. This is multiple defensive coordinators just kept pointing out how skittish Tom Brady is. He led the league with 33 throwaways uh, during the season. He does not want to get hit. And I don't think this offensive line is good enough to keep Brady upright. And, and, and if he gets hurt, they're going to have a, a, you know, obviously much bigger problem with, with Tom Brady not being out there than, than you would have expected. We can, I'm not even sure what we can expect from them after that because it just, it's going to get ugly. So with that being said, let's talk their defense. Obviously, I think we, we can both agree Todd Bowles has done an outstanding job with them. And they, they were – I think they were most underrated defense last year. Like I, yeah. I, I really did. We would talk about them, but obviously it was it was hard to really highlight them because Tampa just wasn't they just weren't playing that well at the time. But yeah, do this is the bright spot. I think we're gonna keep focusing on Brady bringing something, but I think the defense. If I'm gonna agree with you, if I do think they make the playoffs, I think it's because that defense has been together and they've done it, and and they they've got what I think is the blueprint for what's working for them. You cut down those, I was going to say fumbles, but Jameis really wasn't fumbling that much as he was just throwing the ball away. You know, and, and think about how much the defense could be off the field this year with Tom Brady if, if he plays well. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I get the take here of that we, we focus on the offense, but their defense is really is really the studs. And they are. They are. I'm not, I'm not taking that away from them. So, in that case, I could see a scenario where – to start the season, the Bucks defense is the ones leading the way. And then as we get into October, November, December, eventually Tom Brady and the boys on offense will start clicking and then the Bucks will be a real threat. I really can't really see how they don't make the playoffs. I, I understand where you're coming from, where you're like, I want continuity. I want a, you know, a team that has the quarterback from last year. I get all of that. And a year like this, it's tough to make those picks. But this is a team that has a defense. It's a team that is getting the greatest quarterback of all time. It's a team that had a quarterback last year that had a billion interceptions. It's a team that has so many great weapons and a great coaching staff as well. So if I was making my predictions right now, I would have Tampa Bay in as a wild card team somewhere in there, especially in a year like this as well, where from now on, there are seven playoff teams in each conference compared to when it was always six. So even a better chance for them to make the playoffs. I do understand though where you're coming from. I do want to put Tampa Bay to the side for a second. Let's talk about the team that we all agree is the team to beat in this division and arguably in this conference and that is the New Orleans Saints. I mean there might not be a team in the NFL that is as stacked on both sides of the ball like the New Orleans Saints. I mean, it's absolutely insane. I love them adding Emmanuel Sanders, Mr. Reliable. I think that's a perfect fit for Drew Brees. But if there is one concern for me, and I'm sure you've talked about this with people there, it's that the last two years, I feel like Drew Brees, near the end of the season, it feels like his arm is falling off and he just isn't the same quarterback. Do you have any concerns with that? It, it isn't. Um, it isn't. And, and I want to just back it up more big picture first. Yeah. You know, this is a team that has had the same head coach, the same coordinator, the same quarterback since 2009. And if there's any time where this becomes the advantage over everybody, this is it. Those guys speak the same language. John Payton and Drew Brees are on the same page all the time. They fight like husband and wife, but... <laughs> 
it's a, it's a language and a, and a culture and a respect and a, and a family feel there and a competitive one. I do think a lot of the off season we'll call distraction. If we want to call it a distraction with Drew Brees mm-hmm. um, and the team, I knew the second that happened, I didn't even think twice about it, that that would be something that would bring this team together. And from what I can gather from talking to those guys and, and even the coaching staff, it, it was one of the best things to happen to them. It was almost like an extra kick in their butt that they needed, not like getting bounced in the playoffs three times in a row. It wasn't enough, but <laughs> yeah. um, they, they've grown together and they've had some real intense conversations and team meetings about this. And, and I do think this was good for Drew. I do from, from as a person, as a leader, as a captain. And, you know, Taysom Hill is just getting better behind him. Um, you know, and the other part of this too, which is really funny to me, is I have people there who say Jameis looks good in camp. And I'm not saying that Drew's losing a spot. Uh, but man, they are solid. Their depth is, they, they have it everywhere. And yeah, and they're, they're just, they're a well-oiled machine on the field and in the locker room now. Mm-hmm. In a year like this where everyone is talking about continuity, there really might not be a team that has a bigger advantage than the New Orleans Saints. So there's that, of course. And then, you know, what happened with Drew Brees this offseason, obviously, you know, it got pretty intense. Um, but, you know, it felt like it was going to implode at one point. But eventually they got it all together. The team has gelled even more than what it was before, which is crazy to me because this team was really, really together before that. We've seen what... Demario Davis has had to say. We've seen what Malcolm Jenkins has said since. This team really is together. But, you know, as we said, there really is no team that has a roster top to bottom as talented as this New Orleans Saints team. But going back to, like, my original question, what's going on with Drew Brees near the end of the year? I know he's up there in age. He's in his 40s. But is that is that by any chance something that the Saints are going to do something about it because it feels like he's 41 and as soon as we get to week 16, 17 into the playoffs, he just isn't the same quarterback. No, I, I know what you mean. And it's, it's always a story. It always is um, because we, we have seen his numbers, his numbers change um, and he's getting older and there's definitely been a decrease in production. That is no secret uh, towards the end of the season. And he struggles he does. When I've talked to Sean Payton directly about it, he takes a lot of blame. And look, that could be him protecting his quarterback, as I would understand he would. But I was I was in that locker room. I've been in the locker room all three losses in the postseason. Actually, excuse me, two of them. I missed the, I missed the, the uh, Minneapolis Miracle. I was not there. I didn't get that game. Uh, but I was with the team soon after. And these, I mean, I'm around these guys so much and I get to have an opportunity to talk to them and have real conversations and they, they, they vent, they tend to vent well, but they, they protect each other. And I, I never gathered a frustration about Drew. Yes. Was there a little bit of their offense needs to be better? They need to do this. That, that, that wasn't it. So I don't think it's a concern. I don't think this is a team that doubts what Drew Brees can do. I just am curious to see what they're going to do to make sure this isn't going to be an issue this season, knowing that they are all in to win this year. And, and that, that's my, one of my biggest takeaways of covering the Saints now is just, I mean, this is like Super Bowl or bust in their mind, uh, which, which seems like the Saints every year, which, you know, it's funny. When I started to cover them closely, they stunk. They were right. so bad. And the year, my second year covering the league, 
they got, they started to get good. And they always, the guys that are still there always say to me, like, you don't know what it was like when it was so bad here. Like you're used to winning all the time. And I'm like, I kind of figure you guys are always going to be in the NFC championship every year. And it's like, yeah, that, that was not happening just a few years ago. And it's true, but this team is built to win it. And they they could definitely win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, at this point we can start another argument. Did Sean Payton and Drew Brees waste their talents? Did they underachieve in new Orleans after all these years? If they don't win this, and I think that that that's got to be something we talk about if they don't do it this year. I mean, it, it's kind of the same argument that we've had with Aaron Rodgers only winning one. I mean, you can make the same argument of Drew Brees only winning one up until this point, one Super Bowl up until this point with Sean Payton. I mean, I mean, it's been tough to see how they've lost these past three years in a row. And again, this in my mind, this is the best team in the NFC, better than San Francisco. This roster is just stacked top to bottom. It's not even close, actually, for me. I mean, adding Malcolm Jenkins, drafting Cesar Ruiz, um, adding Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, there, there's really no hole on this roster from what I see. The other thing I wanted to ask you about the Saints, it really doesn't have much to do with this year. It's actually for the long term. After Drew Brees is done, I know they keep on saying Taysom Hill is the guy. Mm-hmm. Is he really the guy? I mean, like, we don't see him throw the ball that much. Yeah, the jack of all trades. Um, and, and, man, they love him. They love him so much. I always say, if somebody in my life just loved me as much as Sean Payton is Taysom Hill. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think he's going to be the next guy after Drew. I think, <laughs> I think they're going to work on Jameis. I, I, I see that happening. Do I think Taysom will be part of it? Yeah, but... I, I don't think the next starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, you know, will be Taysom. Could it go that way? Yeah, it could. Uh, I don't get the sense that that he's going to be the replacement. Interesting. Because if you remember, like, it feels like a million years ago, but like in March and April, the talk was about Taysom Hill. There was so much conversation about him. And now he's a restrictive free agent and someone's going to sign him and will the Saints match? And eventually nothing happened. But we got all these reports that eventually he's going to be the guy. Sean Payton thinks he's the next Steve Young. But I was, like, so confused by it because I'm like, we haven't really seen this guy unless he's doing something in practice. Wow. I don't know where everything is coming from. So I kind of – I mean, like, I'm happy you said that because it just makes sense to me. I yeah. really don't know he's where everything – Steve Young, but we're to roll with Teddy. I know. I, I don't <laughs> – and why, then why sign, why sign Jameis also? I just didn't understand everything. It kind of was confusing to me. But we kept on getting all these reports. And I was like, why is this coming out right now? It just didn't make sense to me. But um, I'm happy you said that because I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't see how they're already appointing him as the next guy. It doesn't make sense to me. So, um, I mean, of course, there's time until there. But um, I wanted to ask you that as well in regards to the Saints. All right. So you said the Buccaneers are not making the playoffs fine so are the falcons the number two team here in this division because again they finished six and two last year after starting one and seven um i think it's safe to say that dan quinn is also on the hot seat the offense of course adds Gurley and hurst how do you see this offense there's a bunch of first round picks i mean it's crazy oh it's it's amazing when you look back at what they've done and how many coordinators they've been through and i i dan quinn has this incredible 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 talent and ability to get people to buy in and he's a great guy and he's got some really good ideas but this defense that was promised that he was part of in seattle just never came with him right (laughs) um it it, it, i I haven't seen it at least maybe snippets of it but it's never really come out to what he needs it to be this is another team where i get distracted 
and I, you're going to laugh. I forget Matt Ryan's on the team. I forget. And I'm like, how can I doubt this guy? Like, how could you possibly doubt Matt Ryan? And, and, you know, we can talk to, we're blue in the face about Julio Jones and his lack of production in the red zone. And, uh, you know, is he another example of someone that's been underappreciated, underutilized in that offense? I, I just, I think the Falcons started to pick up steam last year and they're figuring out what they are now. And which is why I think they're going to have a good season. Cause it goes back to another team with a veteran head, not veteran, but a, a consistent head coach um, with a quarterback that, that is comfortable. So this, that, that's where they're getting the win for me over the bucks. It's not that I think Matt Ryan's better than Tom Brady. No, I just think their off season isn't as chaotic as let's say teams with first time head coaches and quarterbacks. So basically what you're looking for is the continuity. And he has that, of course, there in Atlanta with Dirk Cutter as the offensive corner. Some people didn't like that last year, the way he was handling the offense. I mean, they would run the ball on first down like almost every single time. Um, but that's just a different story. But like, I, I hear where you're coming from there as well. I mean, this is a team, again, as I said before, they finished the season so strong. That's probably one of the main reasons why they kept the staff intact. Yeah. But um, it, it probably is, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you always hear from coaches that are on the hot seat or near it. They're like, I just got to win the last two, three games, and I'll leave a good taste in my owner's mouth. <laughs> like, right. you do that. I've seen how many coaches we've seen be in that position at Dan Quinzen where they finish strong and it gets like, an, it's tough to pull that plug. But you lose those last two games, even if they mean nothing, it's like, just get out of here. We want to move on, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I remember about three weeks before this season was over, and Jay Glazer does this every year where he puts his guys who are on the hot seat who's not, and he put Dan Quinn as someone who is leaning towards getting fired. They end up winning those remaining games, including against San Francisco, and um, he ends up, you know, keeping the job, and he's back for another year now. But this is a team that, of course, as I said, they add Todd Gurley, they add Hayden Hurst. I think Calvin Ridley is someone who explodes this year. Um, on the other side, with Julio Jones, it's a team that, in my mind, should be able to get to that nine-win mark, maybe even ten if everything goes right. But again, it's 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 such a tough division here with New Orleans, with Tampa Bay, and then the other team that we haven't spoken about is the team that what I what I said to Field Yates a few a few weeks ago is that if there's one team in the NFL that I literally have no idea what to expect from them, it's Carolina, just because. It's a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a new quarterback, and their entire draft was on defensive players. And then there was no OTAs or preseason to see any of this. So I'm just going to ask you straight up, what are you expecting from this Carolina Panthers team? Well, I don't think I'm going to surprise you because I'm consistent with this theory that it, there's a lot of adjustments in, in the league. And while Teddy Bridgewater is a fabulous leader and can run an offense and, and, and Matt Rule and Joe Brady, they've done everything to, to give this offense comfort. Um, even, even their backup quarterbacks have comfort with, with, with their experiences and time with Matt Rule in college. Um, this is not the year. This is not the year I think Carolina – I think they're building. I think it's going to be a great seed to something. But Matt Rule was not brought in for this season. He was brought in to completely change this organization from the play, from the kind of guys that they're going to bring in there, from the type of skills, the type of explosive players he's looking for, uh, to the culture. And 
they showed their investment in him and their belief that he can do it. I think they're always going to compete, though. I don't think this is a team that you go that we're going to see and be like, oh, gosh, they're really rebuilding. I still think they have enough talent on this team that they're not going to just roll over. I mean, obviously, Christian McCaffrey leads it, but they, they have men to, to, to at least compete every week. I don't think they have a losing season. I just don't think they're going to be great. Right. I, I said this to feel. I feel like, the, first of all, Maribel got a seven-year deal, okay? He has time here to do his thing. That's number one. But then I feel like this is going to be a team similar to the Dolphins last year. And this team has more talent than them. But they're going to be playing tough every week. They're going to be playing gritty every week. And they're going to ruin the team's season at some point this yeah. year. That's the way I look at them. I don't think this is their year, as you said. But they're going to be annoying. They're going to play tough. And, again, they have pieces. Of course, Teddy McCaffrey, they signed Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore is an emerging star, Curtis Samuel. So there are pieces here on this team, and they're going to give trouble to some teams around the NFL. But, as we said, we don't expect them to make any noise in the NFC playoff picture. So round up a bit of the NFC South. I think the way you look at it, correct me if I'm wrong, New Orleans one, Atlanta two, Tampa Bay three, and Carolina four. I like that you're keeping track of this. So like the so end of December, I feel like you're just sending <laughs> a real aggressive tweet like, hey, you don't know anything. <laughs> no, no. If you know me on Twitter, I will never do such a thing like that. <laughs> I, um, I welcome the trolling. I, I actually um, I've learned to enjoy it. I used to get upset about it because I'd be sensitive, like, oh, nobody likes me. But now I think it's fun. And no, none of us know. We don't, none of us know. These teams don't know. I talk to player head coaches every day. I talked to a head coach today and I said, hey, just, just trying to pick your brain on some stuff on your own team. I'm not looking for anything else in your division. Just how's your team right now? And he's like, all due respect, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're all right. I think my system's working. I think the cultures are, I, I don't know. And I, 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 he wasn't being funny or cute. I think that's the way a lot of coaches feel right now because there's no real test without preseason games. You're going up against your own guys. So, you know, I think there's so many teams that are at such a disadvantage for not, you know, by not having these preseason games. That, you know, the Washington football team is the one that stands out to me the most. Uh, man, they could have used some preseason games just, mm-hmm. just to just to see where Dwayne Haskins is at, see what this offense is. Uh, I don't have questions about their defense, but, you know, we could go through every team and why they need it. But I just think there's some that are really desperate that could have used some real game reps. Yeah, for sure. Listen, I mean, this year is is without a doubt the one year that, I mean, even if you're making predictions, I mean, you could throw it out the window probably by week four, just because there's going to be so many changes by – I mean, you, you don't even know what to expect. You could have a player who goes on the COVID list on a Saturday. You could have so many different things happen, which ruin a team, which ruins the team's week. In a year like this, I mean, it's hard really to predict anything. But at the same time, I feel looking at the big picture, and if you do talk about continuity and all of that, you could at least try to figure out some things here with these divisions. That's the thing here. And that's why I'm starting to understand why you're going with Tampa Bay as number three in this division. Now I'm starting to at least get a little bit of a, a clearer picture as to why you're doing that. You're like, you're like, I don't agree with you, crazy lady, but I can see your argument. I respect the debate, right. but you're still right. wrong. <laughs> I could see it. Like if it actually happens and we're in week 17 and I, I would just go back and say, you know what? You were right. You, you made, you made sense. I could see it. I'm not calling you crazy. I really don't think it's crazy. I think it's possible, 
But I also look at this team and I think that they are a very talented team. That's the yes. other things. So um, again, it's, it's, it's hard to make predictions. We're going to try to do it here. We have two more divisions to go with. So let's keep on rolling here. Let's do the NFC East. You brought up Washington. This is an amazing stat to me. This is a division that has had a different division winner for 15 consecutive years. It is an unbelievable it. stat. It's, it's crazy. Favorite. We, we it, say it all the time on the shows, and I still like never get sick of that stat because it does make it that interesting. It just shows you how competitive it is. And just goes to show you we don't know anything because every time we all pick someone early on, who knows? It really can be anyone. Um, this year, I do think, though, it's going to be between the Dallas Cowboys and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll start with, let's just say, the team that lost it last year, um, you know, Washington, as I, as I just mentioned. I'll start positively. I mean, their defensive line has got to be a top three defensive line. Um, actually, I could argue they could be number one. I really do. I think mm-hmm. they've got so many young, hungry guys on this team. Uh, obviously, Darren Payne, I to switch. He's young. He's young is going to probably be in double digit stats by half, the, you know, at the half season point. They remind me a little bit of the Niners defense last year, just the way they, they're going to be the nucleus of this team. But the big question mark, I think, though, is going to be is, is Haskins, right? So he was two and five as a starter last year, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, at times, he looked completely lost. And then there were moments where I felt that he was showing signs of just growth and understanding and just getting past the tough rookie year. I don't think this team's going to win more than five games, but I think they're going to play tough. I think that's where Ron Rivera is phenomenal. And they've got some, they've got some really hard games coming up. Their schedule's tough. I'd say, I'd say their bright spots, their defense. Obviously, Terry McLaurin, everyone loves. I think he went for over 900 yards last year, seven touchdowns. This year, I, I expect him to exceed that. And the Alex Smith story is uh, incredible. Are we going to see him? Like, I, I have no idea. What are they going to do with this? And if you ask me right now to pick a quarterback, I'm picking Alex Smith because of what he's done. I doubted him. I th- I never thought he'd walk again. Nevertheless, do what he's doing. And, and I just I don't see growth. I, I don't think Dwayne Haskins has come that far yet. And it's just gonna t- it's gonna take some time with Scott Turner. So let me ask you this: Big picture, do you think Dwayne Haskins is the long term answer there in Washington of Ron Rivera? I don't. I don't. I think this is going to be a situation where he wasn't Ron's pick. I think he showed in college that he had the ability. It just, I think he was given a really tough spot in Washington, knowing that that coaching staff didn't want him. They didn't want to draft him. And that was made public. I think that was hard and unfair to be honest. I I hope his career, I hope he can go to another organization and be successful somewhere else. I just don't think it's going to be Washington. Yeah. I remember that draft day. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure you were the one who was reporting on this and you were on it that, Washington wanted Dwayne Haskins, but really it was the owner who was pushing for a Dan Snyder. It wasn't the coaching staff, right? Yeah, the owner and the GM at the time, Bruce Allen, wanted were all they could they you could not convince them otherwise. Uh, there were some people on the coaching staff that wanted to go defense. There was I know a few guys on offense that wanted to go with Daniel Jones, mm. uh, but they could they, they couldn't win that war. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. You know, I'm here from New York, and the talk of town right now is Joe Judge and the way he is coaching his team, the old-school fashion, making his guys run laps if they make a mistake. What do you think of the way he's doing his thing right now in his first year as the Giants head coach? Love, 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 love. You love it? people like it? I don't think 
Yeah, I love it. I'm all in on this. Um, I think it's an improvement. Look, this team, what, would, what they've been doing was not working. They need, they need discipline. They need focus. They need a, a clear picture, an identity of what they're going to be. And they need their butts kicked a little bit. They have stunk. They've absolutely stunk the last few seasons. And you look at who's been successful in this market, in the New York market, which I'm in with you. Um, you know, Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, was it painful at times? Do you hear players to this day complain about them? Yes. But ask those same players who were the, who were the best coaches you had. Most of them say Tom Coughlin or Bill Parcells if they played under them. So it's, I always equate it to, like, to school. I hated the teachers that were really hard on me. But if it was my history teacher, for example, for me, my seventh grade history teacher was really hard and tough. But I remember everything she taught me, you know, 20 years later. I remember everything because she was hard on me. So in the moment, it's painful. But winning's painful. Success is painful. That's what it takes. And that, that's a formula that works. And everyone loves to make this argument of, well, Bill Belichick's assistants, you know, they, 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 never, they never win because they try to be him. I think if Joe Judge can just be authentic to who he is in his voice, why would you not take the formula of Bill Belichick? I'd, take, I'd rip the same, I'd do the same thing, but just make it authentic to him. Just make sure he's adding himself and having that relationship with the players and the care and that touch that's true to Joe Judge. That's not just Bill Belichick. I think that's when people buy in. I think that's in life. If you feel like people are being genuine and authentic, you tend to buy in because that's who they are. They're not a fraud. And I don't think what he's doing is fraudulent. I think he sees something... He was in a with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. It works. So let's do this again. Let's run it back, but I'm going to do it my own way. So I, I'm all in for what he's doing, knowing that, you know, they also, you know, they, I think they've got a great coordinator in Jason Garrett to help get Daniel Jones developed, to clean up the fumbling. Uh, so many turnovers last year, right? Third, they were third in the league at turnovers. He was sloppy, but I think this, I think Daniel Jones can get fixed and it doesn't, doesn't hurt that they get the best running back on the planet on their team. For sure. Listen, Daniel Jones, I mean, the fumbling problem is fixable. That's the thing. And he showed a lot of potential last year. And the weapons are all there. You mentioned Saquon, Tate, Shepard, Slayton, and, of course, Evan Ingram, who I know you love. So there's all of that going on there. And then, I mean, I always thought the whole thing that Joe Judge is doing, I feel it was just overblown by the New York media. I mean, I feel like it's it's not that crazy. I really don't think it's that crazy. I feel like... New York just gets like, we're one way or the other, right? So, you know, so I grew up, or at least my family did, we're like, we're Jets fans. So we initially hated Eric Mangini, and then we grew to love him because the team was getting better. It was hard, and it was tough, and he was a jerk at first, and he was awful in terms of his personality. But then you started to realize that he had a plan, and that plan started to get better and they got better and the team bought into it. And then Rex Ryan came in and, you know, we loved Rex because he get great sound bites and he, and he was exciting and funny and a player's guy, but then he, you know, two playoff runs with Rex, but most of that team was what Tannenbaum and Mangini built. And I always use that as my example of sometimes that uncomfortableness, they're, they're, there's a reason for it. They're trying to get to a place of success and they're trying to clear out the garbage so I think the New York market just doesn't like those types because it's, they're not giving you anything either. Uh, Joe Judge doesn't give the media a lot right now. Uh, neither does Matt Patricia. You know, anyone, Bill O'Brien, anyone that comes to the New England tree, they're the same way. They're all like that. Um, 
So I, I, I just think it's also just a good story. It's juicy. It's like, oh, here we go again. Another Belichick guy trying to be with Belichick. But I think this is going to be the one. I think this is going to work. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been saying as well. You know, the Giants said when they interviewed him, they were floored by him. When we got to see his press conference, I know that really doesn't mean anything, but he was really impressive to me. And then, you know, I told you about how I like Daniel Jones. I think he he has a place in this league. Obviously, this offense has a bunch of pieces, but defensively, there's just so many holes. Um, I, I think you would agree that it's safe to say that this year is not the Giants' year, but it's 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 probably it's coming soon. I think that's the way to put it. Yeah, I, I think the Giants overall have an opportunity. Well, look, they're going to be better. I think that the New York Giants will be a better football team this season. If Daniel Jones was throwing twenty four touchdowns in twelve games last year, he can throw thirty this season. I, I don't doubt that easily. You know, they're they're. They, and the, I, I liked their draft. I didn't love their draft. I liked their draft. They obviously went offensive line there early, and they're going to have with Andrew Thomas, and they're going to have to – he's going to have to get those reps in and get better, and they're going to need a better offensive line in order for Daniel Jones to be successful. But I think they take that step forward. Daniel Jones in his second year as the true starter here, no Eli. No one talks about that as much. We, I know we don't talk about it a lot on TV. Sometimes all of that can be distracting, that being the, the Eli stuff was a lot. And this is Daniel Jones's team now. It's his team. His leadership has stood out. Um, everything I'm hearing from camp is, is growth in him, which is what we need to see. So I, I think they're going to be the improved team. I just don't think they're winning the division. Right. So I would agree with you there. So obviously the two teams in this division that are going to be competing the most, as it's been the past few years, is Philadelphia and Dallas. We've, of course, seen Philadelphia get pummeled by injuries already. I saw your tweet yesterday. You might switch your pick. How do you have this going? I've been all in on the Eagles. I love that they have the, like going back to the formula of just the same group, the same coaches, everything that that team does. I just, I, I approve. Um, I love Jim Schwartz. I think he's a really strong coordinator. Carson Wentz is a damn superstar. But with these injuries now, Brandon Graham, uh, I'm sorry, no, Brooks. Sorry, Brooks. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Eagles fans didn't mean to do that. That's to highlight the defense, right? Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are incredible. But um, Brandon Brooks, you know, Herning, then Jalen Rieger, we don't know what's going on. You know, the receiving core is not as good as the Cowboys. I know that. We know that. I don't think we can – I think most people would agree. But the injury thing is just – I'm, I'm frightened. It's, it's just been the injury bug at this time of year already. This is not good. This is not a good start for them. So, I, I'm such a traitor. I think I'm just going to flip. I'm, I'm going to flip to the Cowboys winning this division because oh, wow. of CeeDee Lamb, because of Michael Gallup, because of Mari Cooper. I think Dak Prescott is going to have – the best season of his career. The defensive line is upgraded. You know, I think Dak is going to want to prove his worth here. And, the, the, you know, obviously the weakness is going to be the new system, Mike McCarthy, short off season. But Mike McCarthy is a quarterback guru. He's work, He's going to help Dak on his technique, his footwork, all the problems he's had. That is the one thing I think everyone across the league knows is Mike McCarthy can improve a quarterback. And I think be good. So I've actually been on Dallas even before all these Philadelphia injuries. You know, I know we mentioned, you know, Dillard, Brooks, and Rager already getting hurt for Philadelphia. At the same time, though, Dallas actually lost some key pieces as well, right? Robert Quinn and Travis Frederick retired and Byron Jones left. Um, so all that happened in free agency. Malik Collins left. You know, they also lost some pieces. I know they added a bunch of other veterans in there. But this offense for Dallas, right, Dak once again in a prove-it year with Zeke, Cooper, 
Gallup, Lamb, Jarwin, plus the offensive line, even though Frederick's not there, it's still going to be fine. Plus on the defense where you have Lawrence and you add Everson Griffin, right? So there are pieces on this team. We said the stat before, 15 consecutive years of a different division winner. I think it goes to 16, but I think it's going to be neck and neck once again, like we've seen in previous years. The other thing about Philadelphia, which I do like, first of all, Darius Slay, Javon Hargrave were two massive additions on defense. Hargrave is one, another one of those underrated, underappreciated players, um, you know, under the radar signings from free agency. He was a key piece there in Pittsburgh. Now he comes to Philadelphia, pair him up with Fletcher Cox. That's pretty scary. The other thing that people keep on saying is Carson Wentz is injury prone. I disagree with that. Look at Carson Wentz last year. This team was pummeled by injuries last year as well. He was the one player who actually played all 16 games. And then he got injured because of a dirty hit in the playoffs. So I think Carson Wentz is going to be fine. We know they drafted Jalen Hurts. So they do have backup option there just in case something does happen. As of right now though, I do give the edge over to the Dallas Cowboys. One more division left to do. We've been talking already for an hour, which is crazy to me. But let's, we save the best for last. It is the NFC West. And, you know, this division is easily, in my mind, the best division in all of football. It's not even close to me. I think you can make an argument for all four teams to make the playoffs this year. San Francisco made the Super Bowl. Seattle made the playoffs. Arizona made all the big moves this offseason. The people who listen to this podcast, you guys know that I am all in and on Arizona. This is my this is my team that I think will pop in 2020, and I think they can make the playoffs. And then, of course, Sean McVay and the Rams, I'm not ready to count them out. So let me ask you, how do you stack all of this up with this division? Because there are just so many good teams. Okay, so I'm with you. I'll start with what I'm with you on, which is I do think the Cardinals take a major step forward this year. I think what we're going to see from Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray – and, and the, the pieces they've added this year, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is going to be the gigantic element there and, and the addition that's going to help them. But players they drafted in on defense, I think, is going to make them even better. So I'll start with who I think wins it, which is I do think the 49ers win it again. Even though I had the biggest concern, I think the football hangover thing is such a real thing, whether you win it or you attend it. it we see it every year. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I need to like lay out that much evidence. We've seen it. It's very mm-hmm. rare that you see a team go to the Super Bowl, win it or lose it, and come back and be just as great the second year. But I do think that the Niners have that special X factor of Kyle Shanahan and an un- understanding uh, of, of how they want to do things on top of a fantastic defense. They, they signed up the players they need. They added Trent Williams. I mean, What? That's the biggest move this offseason that I feel like just went unnoticed because I know. you didn't get attention it, it deserves. It deserves so much more. And guess when we're going to really probably start flipping out about it? After week one, when we right. see them. Right. Like how we forgot. That's sometimes, you know, we all have such short-term memories covering this league. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Trent Williams is incredible. He's the best left tackle I've ever seen <laughs> in terms of covering the league. Like it's been, at least when I covered Washington, he was... I mean, he's the best player on the team every year. Not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, just a big addition with, with having him. Um, so, 
But I'm going to say that the Rams are going to lose the division. I'm just so out on them. I'm, I, they were so the flavor of the year, the Wonder Boy, and I, I, I don't think they have what it takes this season. I liked some of the moves they made, but I don't think Jared Goff is going to have a good year. I don't. This is where I, I think Arizona is going to have the lead. This is where I think comes in second in the division. Where did you have Arizona in, in, in the division? I have Arizona third, but they're making the playoffs, and I could see them being second. And I, okay. I, I, I want to talk about Arizona a little bit because I find this team to be fascinating. Okay. Let me just run through this for you because, first of all, we know about the second-year leap of quarterbacks, right? We've seen it each of the last three years with Wentz to Mahomes to Lamar. So I think that quarterback is going to be Kyler this year. Year two with Cliff. And this is the thing. Cliff said this earlier this offseason. Nobody really picked it up, but I saw it. He said that the biggest mistake he made in his first year as a coach was that he did not unleash his offense in the preseason because he wanted to keep it a secret. For week one last year right and because he did that they started off sloppy remember they started against Detroit Detroit they couldn't score they eventually tied that game and then in a tie but they started off slow and eventually as the season went on they started to click now into year two you add Hopkins you have Fitz you have Christian Kirk there's this guy Dan Arnold who everyone is talking about I don't know if you've heard about this hype the former Saints tight end everyone is talking about him as if he's going to be a very big piece in this offense as well I don't know if you've heard that, but that's something else that's going on. But I feel like this offense is locked and loaded and ready to go. And then defensively, this is the thing that is actually very interesting to me. Chandler Jones, another player who's so underrated, sack master, doesn't get that much attention from the national media. Jordan Phillips, Devon Kennard, Isaiah Simmons, you, all, you add all of that into this defense as well. With Buda Baker, who just got paid, Patrick Peterson, Jordan Hicks, Brian Murphy in his second year. There are pieces on this defense. And as you were talking about continuity, this is a team that is going into year two with the same head coach, with the same defensive coordinator and Van Joseph. So I'll say it right now. I'm all in on the Cardinals. I feel like they do make the playoffs. And I actually feel like they're going to cause trouble in this division. I could see them playing around and causing some serious problems. Oh, for sure. And, and let's not look past Kevin Murray's uh, his wheels, right? Like, yeah. he is such a good athlete. And I feel like once Kingsbury made some of the adjustments during the season to, to both the run game and the passing games – that is what stood out. Like that was the lone exception, the quarterback sneaks, um, all those designed quarterback runs for him really helped improve them. And, and Cliff Kingsbury has always said that, you know, that Murray is one of the best dual threat players ever. So I, I think that's always going to be their biggest advantage, which is going to make them that much better this year, you know, and he had to adapt to that offense and it was like a really young group of receivers. And this is where I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to really help Kyler Murray take that next step, that growth. Hop has a way of getting the best out of you. I remember talking to Sean Watson about what DeAndre Hopkins brings. And he's like, he does things that you don't even see on the field, that you can't see, that you don't understand what he's doing in terms of making us better. So to have that veteran experience, that veteran right at, that trustworthy guy, Larry Fitz as well, you know, th this is going to, I think we'd be disappointed as NFL media if this team wasn't good. Cause I think everyone's in on them. Um, I don't feel like everyone is in. That's the thing. I really don't think everyone really? is in on I that. I feel like everyone is talking about, oh, Connor Murray's here. And I was like, I was thinking it last year. I'm like, this kid's going to be really good next year. But now, now, now we're here. So, um. I feel like the Lions are getting more hype than the Cardinals. No. I'm telling you. Really? I'm I follow things pretty closely. I don't see that much Cardinals. I mean, I've seen people talk about Kyler. I haven't seen the Cardinals as a whole, though. Which, real quick sidebar, because I know we've been talking a long time. 
have you ever missed an update because you were like with your family or doing something that distracted you and you're like, oh my God, I'm so late on this? Um, have I missed? Of course, I've, I, I don't really miss stuff because I'm always on my phone, like I have it near me. But there are times that I miss stuff because, you know, you're talking to people or because this isn't even like my main thing. I do other things here in New York as well. I, so I, I'm, I am busy with other stuff. Like yesterday, I was doing an open house actually here in New York. And then what happened yesterday? And Gakway happened early in the morning. Something else happened. Oh, the Derwin injury happened. Yeah. During, during, I was like in the middle of talking to somebody and then I got the update. I was looking at my phone and I was like, oh shoot, something happened to Derwin. I'm like, oh, not again, darn it. But then like, I, I went to check what happened and I'm like, oh, and it was like, it had, there was like three injuries in the span of 10 minutes. There was two injuries with the Jets and then Derwin as well. So it happens, it happens a lot because I'm not always doing football. That's the thing. I wish I could, but I'm not always doing it. But for the most yeah. part, for the most part, I'm usually like, I'm the type of person who doesn't sleep that much. Like I'm, I'm, I'm awake late and I wake up early. So like then got away trade on a Sunday morning at 640, the Adam broke. I was actually awake for that. So like, Oh, that's Oh, I can't stand when I wake up to either a text with the news or reaction to the news or even just something simple as looking at my phone and seeing Adam tweet it. Um, such a panicky feeling when you're in the business, but also really fun. And that's good that you don't sleep much because lean off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've only missed one story while I was sleeping and it was Antonio Brown getting traded to the Raiders. That's the only thing I've ever missed while sleeping. I try to remember where I was. I know there's so many where was where where I can remember where I was moments in in this business, believe it or not, which is weird because there's so many stories. But like, I actually even tweet about it. Like I remember when Andrew Luck retired. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, who I was yeah. with, and I was I was actually at a party and I was like, I need to go. They're like, why? I'm like, I need to leave. <laughs> I like panicked. Like, what what am I gonna do? Go drive to Indianapolis? Like I didn't know what I was doing, but I felt like I needed to be like in my office in front of my laptop near my phone. So I tweeted that last week. It was the one-year anniversary for Andrew Luck. I tweeted, this is a moment in sports that you'll never forget where you were and what you were doing. Yeah. But then all, like, half of the replies were like, no, why, why would I remember that? Yeah, I I, like, which is weird. Which is, that's them not valuing Andrew Luck. That's them just caring about their own team too much. That's what I, that's how I take it. I don't know. I'll never forget that thing. I mean, I, I dropped the phone when it happened. It was insane. I okay, mean, what's, I, your, what's your number two then? Like, let's just say that's our number one for the last few years. What's your number two most memorable? Where was I? Number two, probably when Odell got traded to the Browns. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a good pull. That's a good one. Yeah. I remember where I was too. It was, by the way, I remember it was during free agency, obviously, and obviously so many things were going on and then it happened. But like, I got the sense during the day that it was going to happen because I remember it vividly. So you guys were all on ESPN doing NFL special, whatever it was for free agency. And then I remember, I think Josina was there and she was the one who mentioned that Odell, the, the Giants spoke to a team in the NFC, AFC North today about an Odell trade. Yep, and I remember that. Adam reacted as if, really, I didn't know that. And when Adam did that, I was like, Adam never, Adam's never surprised by news. So I felt like Adam knew about it, but he felt like he was the only one who knew it. So I felt like he was shocked that she knew. And then Mort came in and said, yeah, we all know it's the Browns. And from there, it went on Twitter. And I feel like that's the reason why the guys at NFL Network eventually were the ones who broke it first, because that Josina said it there at NFL. Yeah, she started, she lit the fire. We had a post-show meeting, like an informal one of the insiders in the green room when we just talked about it. And there were people on our staff who had text messages from sources with the Browns saying that this is not happening that that was a lie and 
the person who shared that with me was like, this person has never lied to me in all my years. And I was like, all right. And I started, I walked back to my hotel because I was staying in Bristol that night. And then I remember it's just, and I looked on my phone. I'm like, oh my God. Didn't it, it felt like the biggest thing because it just, I can't believe they really dealt it. Yeah, it shook up the whole world. But I, I feel like, I feel like Adam knew about it the entire day and he felt like he was the only one who knew about it. knew. I, I really think that, I really think, I don't know if he knew as much as you you think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just I, remember Justine saying us. We all looked at each other like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I don't. Know. I remember this story that he did with Sports Illustrated. That he said that he knew about the Brock Osweiler trade a few years ago, and he was the only one who knew about it and kept it a secret. So I felt like he was doing the same thing with Odell here. Yeah. So that's what I. That felt happens a lot. Man, and he pretended as if he didn't know. But he yeah, really didn't. no, I, I could see that. Yeah, and by the way, that it is an incredible feat if you can ever share something with him that he doesn't know. It's like- That's the, what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to so say. It's so rewarding. You're like, I can't believe you don't know this. Like I've had it happen uh, this year with uh, Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina. I had it um, and Mort knew it. And I had like emailed Adam and Mort chimed in, stay on this Diana. And, uh, and then Mort took over for me because I needed another source on it. And Mort had a better one than I did. Um, and, and then and more broke it, which was great. But it was so fun to be for Adam to be like, wait, what? It was, you know, but one of them will always have it. They're, 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 they're just, they have so many conversations with so many smart people and people plugged in. So, yeah. So if I can get one a year over them, I'm, I feel like it's been a success. Yeah. I feel like, I, f- I feel like I remember every story where I was and what it was because I do it all the time, but like, yeah. I feel like you're probably the same way, right? Like you remember where you were during a story for everything you've broken. You de- I was going to say, you definitely remember where you were when you did it. Because I am a bad typer. So I'm you. For, this is the way news breaks all the time. It's always when you're in a position, physically, somewhere, logistically, that's a nightmare. Uh, an airplane, uh, traffic, somewhere where you, you need to be in a, in, a, in a stable position that's safe. And, and just like, you just need a room so you can focus. And almost every big story I've ever broken, I'm at the grocery store, it's never just when I'm at my desk with nothing to do. I'm at the gym. I, I remember breaking a story in the middle of a Pilates class and it was a pretty, I'm trying to remember which it was. What, 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 and the teacher was like, you need to put your phone out. And I was like, ah, I'm leaving. <laughs> and she like went to the back of the class for like three weeks because I didn't mean to be mean to her, but like, I was just like, you don't understand. You know, like, this is a big deal. I need to, I need to tweet this. It's um, funny. You know, I love these behind the scenes stories you guys have with insiders. Cause I, I, I love these type of things. We're completely off topic right now, but I don't really care. But listen, it's, it's, I think you have one of the best stories ever. Cause you mentioned how you're not a good typer. You once said the story about when you broke Danny Amendola signing up the lions and how Adam was the one who actually typed it for you. Yeah, we were in the makeup room. And it was, it's me, one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. It's, it's, I can't it's, believe you knew that story. Who, wait, who did I tell that to? You told it to Mina, I think. Mina, right? Yeah, and Adam, Adam's an incredible typer. I'm not good. I also get this insane adrenaline rush, and I don't think I can think straight. It's very weird. So um, I'm, when you broke that story, I was like, this isn't Diana typing. I knew when it came out, I'm like, this is not her. I knew it oh wasn't my- you. God, it's like you know the way I talk, right? And it's I like, knew it, it. It sounded like an Adam tweet. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense at all. I'm like, does Adam also run your account as well? I was so confused <laughs> when it happened. And it was then so cool. the next That's day, fine. mine's so like sloppy. It's funny. Sometimes um, my fiance will 
look at like at, he's a lot smarter than I am and he'll look at my tweet before I send it to make sure the spelling the grammar's right and he's like oh I would totally rewrite this but just go because you're gonna miss it you know like he's always picking at it because in the moment you're just trying to get it out and and you know when you it takes so much to get all your sources lined up and to get all your information right. And at ESPN, we run a really tight ship on how we put our news out and we have to send it to certain people before we put it out. Um, so by the time you're sending it, you feel like five hours have gone by. So it's like, I don't care if I spilled Amendola wrong, just go, you know, for example, <laughs> that, that didn't happen, but you know, um, it just happened. So. It's, it's, it's amazing. I love these type of stories. I mean, again, I, I follow all these things, so I understand it pretty well. I don't know how much the general public cares about all of this, but it's, I've always find it interesting. Like Adam actually said a story on here when he broke LaShawn McCoy getting traded to Buffalo and he was just lost in Connecticut. He had no idea where he was, but he stopped what he was doing. And it was a snowy night. So like these type of things, like people think you're like tweeting from your desk or something. You guys could be anywhere and doing whatever it is and it's happening and you guys are on top. That's the thing about insiders, which is why I respect all of you so much because it could happen at any point. You could be anywhere. You could be doing anything. I mean, like, you yeah. could be at a wedding, you could be at a party, you could be having dinner, you could be on a date, whatever it is, you're gonna have to stop for a second to go check what's going on. And I that's why I was anchoring Sports Center when it was like Brandon Cooks to New England, from the Saints to New England. You posted a picture, I think, of you like with um your phone in the plug and you were on the floor or something. I remember. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I've had so many stories of that too, like my battery's not yet. Yeah, we, we can do a whole podcast about the life of an insider and why. If you love it, you should do it. But if you just kind of like it, don't do it because people in your family will hate you. And the exhaustion from it, and Adam has like taught me how to not be a lunatic. Uh, when I first started doing it, I was a crackhead and just constantly just berating people and bothering everyone. And now I've learned to just have great, strong relationships with tons of people in the league and you get the ones you can get, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's a fascinating business. I've learned a lot about it over these years. And um, that's why I kind of know all these stories already, because I like hearing these stories. So like, I don't know if you're surprised that I knew these stories about you, but like, I am, but, but, you, but you like to learn though. I can tell you're a consumer of information. You like it. And, and yes. that's why you're great at this. And all we got to do is get you to the combine and, the, and uh, you know, to a couple of events. And before you know it, you'll be giving all of us a run. Oh, <laughs> got some time for that. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm not coming after you guys. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. We are completely off topic. We're going to wrap this up with a quick five. We do this every week. We'll try to do five short questions, random questions, and then we'll wrap it up here. Number one, I know before every season ESPN goes around, they ask their NFL people to give their MVP prediction for 2020. Who do you have? I want to really, I really want to throw everyone off and say Tom Brady just to be like, what? You said it wasn't even making the playoffs. <laughs> You're going to get attacked on Twitter if you would do that. I know. I just want to do it just to really be weird, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go Cam Newton. Oh, wow. Cam Newton, Carolina. Let me go Carolina. New England, my goodness. That, that's interesting. I, I predict he's going to have a big year. I'm not sure about an MVP year, though, but that, that's a bold prediction there for you. You see what I like to do? I don't like to give you the simple things. Those aren't memorable. So you, uh, you, a mentor of mine once said, don't be right, be interesting. That's, that's the Colin Cowherd line, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a headline grabber. I'll tell you that much. Number two, um, coaching will obviously be vital this year. I want you to pick for coach of the year. Uh, Sean Payton. 
Sean Payton. All right. I mean, I know you're all in on the Saints. It makes a lot of sense for him to win coach of the year. Not much of a bold prediction there. I'll tell you that much, Diana. Number three here. So you're, you were reporting a lot on Jadavion Clowney earlier this offseason. You were mentioning how his asking price is too high. What in the world is going on? It's so funny. Someone in my life just asked me that yesterday. I was like, hey, do you have any inside info? I'm like, I know. It's been the weirdest. His price is too high. Still, teams are making pretty, what I think are reasonable offers for him right now. And he is still just sitting and waiting to see what happens until we one here. And until teams are desperate, he's going to try to take advantage of that. So ask me where he winds up. I do not know. That's the thing. Like, I felt like I had a good grasp that teams were interested in him and where he could be. Now, I have no idea where he will wind up because those teams have moved on. It's unbelievable to me that somebody who was a top free agent back in March is still a free agent right now, 10 days before the season starts. Earl Thomas is also a free agent as well. Number four, I saw you on the Fantasy Marathon last week. People are starting to do their fantasy drafts right now. Give me a good fantasy sleeper for this year. Ooh, good. Wait, well, first of all, did you watch the fantasy show and see who I took? Um, I saw your picks. Yes, you took Evan Ingram. I know that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gotta really let that one go. Uh, you know, what's so funny. I met Evan Ingram one time in my life, and he came right up to me and he said, "Hey, nobody is more loyal to me than you. So thank you." Uh, they're, they're... <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, thanks. Sure, anything, anything for you." They're predicting big things for him this year, by the way. So maybe this year is finally the year. I'm gonna go Tyler Boyd on this one. I just think Joe Burrow just makes such a huge difference for that offense. And I think for Burrow, he's going to need an, an alternate to A.J. Green. So that's what I'm going to go with. Interesting. You know, Boyd is, is – it's, it's funny because I feel like he's another one of those underrated players in the NFL doesn't get talked about that much. Yeah. And he, he's a great slot player for that team. And a lot of early reports out of Cincinnati that Joe Burrow is crushing it so far there in Cincinnati. The last question I had here was actually something that we just had a full conversation about. It was about what is your favorite memory from one of the things that you've reported on in the past? So I guess there are more of these. So I'll give you one more if you could. Okay. Um, okay. So we're not allowed to cheer, right? Cause that's weird. We, none of us can be, if you're a journalist, you're not a fan of any team. You just covered. Um, and Last year, they asked every single ESPN analyst who was going to win uh, in the wild card round of the playoffs between the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. And I was the only person to pick the Titans. And I covered them in weeks leading up to, so I felt like connected to them in terms of what they were about. They had such a clear identity and I knew they were peaking. They were getting, they were hot and Vrabel had them all bought in. So I remember I had a cover, the Saints, yeah, I had to cover a Saints game, and I was watching the Patriots-Titans game. I didn't get to cover it. So I was watching it with a bunch of people I knew from the Minnesota Vikings staff uh, the night before their game, and I was going crazy when Tennessee won. That you would have thought that I was, like, from Nashville or Ryan Tannehill's wife or, or Derrick Henry's mom. Like, you would have thought something was weird. Because I was so excited because I know it's hard to be, to go against the grain and, and I don't, I'm not, they don't really have us do too many predictions. So I'm more of a news person. I'm more an information supplier. So, so everyone was ripping on me for that, for that take. So I was so excited 
to reference it and, and basically just rub it in everyone's face. Like I just completely went immature and texted Teddy Bruski and yeah. you know, and everyone I was talking to about it was like, ha ha. Okay, so I remember that as well. And I remember when you made that pick, I thought you were crazy. I did. And I didn't say anything about it, but you ended up being right. And I remember you went crazy on Twitter that night. And then you doubled down as well by picking them to beat the Ravens. And you were right again. So That was nuts. That I mean, I did not. Truth, I did not think they were going to beat the Ravens. Did not. And I covered them the week before leading up to it. And they just, they were really quiet that week. That's what I remember. They weren't high energy. And I, I just thought that all the adrenaline of that win against New England was just going to get absorbed and sucked out of them. And they were going to come out flat against Baltimore. And then the hyenas came out and, and stopped Lamar. This is the thing I've learned with the Titans watching since Mike Vrabel got there. And I'm sure you've seen this also. Whenever people doubt them, they just show up and end up winning. We saw them last year, week one against Cleveland. All the hype for Cleveland, they came in and won. We've seen them do it to New England even before the postseason. They beat the Patriots in a regular season game. They did it to Philadelphia as well. They did it again in the playoffs to New England and Baltimore. And they almost did it to Kansas City as well. The one thing I've learned with this Titans team is that Whenever people are doubting them in the media and everything, Mike Vrabel takes his team in and says, listen, guys, no one believes us. Let's go out and show them that we can win. And they've done it almost all the time. Yeah, they, they have a, an incredible way of, of overcoming that. And, you know, they don't have anyone really special, you know, besides Taylor and Derek, Henry. You know, no one's really – A.J. Brown is amazing. Or I think he's going to have a huge year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Ryan's solid, but they have this acceptance and understanding that that's okay. And that they're going to sort of truck through this together. Um, and they're, they are rough around the edges. They, they, I do think they mirror their coach who is rough around the edges and, and a little outside the box at times. I mean, he, he's not afraid of anything and he, cer he certainly brings credibility to that team from a player perspective, right? Those guys respect him so much because he has three Super Bowl rings, but he has a way of also having tons of discipline there too. Like there's just no BS when you're around them. Um, they don't get away with anything. That's why they don't have problems on that team, which, I mean, I doubted his head coaching ability when they hired him. I was like, I don't know if he's got enough experience because he ran up the ranks quickly from Ohio mm -hmm. State to, to the Texans right to there. I felt like I was just watching him play in New England or at least in Kansas City. Right. And to be able to do what he's done, I, I mean, I think the Titans are nuts if they don't extend his deal to get that done. Because, you know, I look back to when he was on the market in terms of getting that head coaching spot or lo looking for one, and the Giants picked Pat Shermer over him. You know, like, oh, they, you know, they got to be kicking themselves for that. But, yeah, so I, I just think that team has an incredible way of letting him be the leader in the face of them. And I think they're going to be another team, even though they went far last year. I think they're, I think they're going right back this year. Yep. Actually, Jordan Schultz on here last week in the AFC preview said he's picking the tight ends to win the South and also make a lot of noise in the AFC. He's all in on them. And I hear, so are you as well. All right, Diana, this was really fun. I want to thank you for taking the time. Everyone, of course, can go and follow you on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at Diana ESPN. Diana, thanks for coming on. <laughs> 
And I promise it won't be tweets from Adam. It will be me typing it. And you'll know right away because there'll be some grammatical error. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I'll know when it's you and when it's him. But I'm pretty, <laughs> sure, pretty sure as an insider, you guys are told do not give your phones to anyone. So is that accurate? No, I'll do it again. I, I trust Adam more than I probably besides trust Besides for Adam. Anymore. Besides for Adam. Adam, you do I'm whatever just you faster. I wish Adam was. I wish Adam was next to me all the time, to be honest. I wish he would just be my typer. <laughs> the funny thing is he would do it i mean that's how that's how much he, he cares about news that's how much he takes it seriously that's why i love it that's why i love it he's 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 committed and he grinds and that's the, like that's the way i tell i tell this to everyone whatever you do whatever field you pick you want to be as competitive and as, as and the grind that he has with his job for sure all right thank you so much dan i appreciate it thank you for having me Special thanks to ESPN's Diana Rossini for coming on the podcast this week. Great insight from her. Two pointers which I found most interesting during that conversation. She had the Detroit Lions winning the North, which I've seen many people say, but I just have a hard time buying it. Even though that roster has a bunch of great players, I really have to see it to believe it. And then the one that I really would be shocked to see if it does happen, she said the Buccaneers will not make the playoffs. If Tom Brady does not make the playoffs this year, the amount of headlines that would be created is astronomical. And most of them will be just dumb ones. But I would be stunned if Tampa struggles mightily this year. The offense has just too many weapons. The defense showed us last year what they can do. I'm all in on Tampa Bay. But guess what? We will find out very soon. The season starts next Thursday. Let the games begin. But as I said in the introduction, a lot will go down before the season even kicks off on Thursday. There will be cuts. There will be trades. There will be signings. There will be surprises. So buckle up. And of course, have your notifications on for the My Sports Update Twitter account. Have it locked and loaded. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host host Ari Marov. I'll be back for another episode next week. Until then, have a great Labor Day weekend and I'll talk to you all next week.